You know, I think there's always the question, is it life imitating art or art imitating life? Fiction has always been the medium through which our culture shares and disseminates ideas. Um, we are all literate in stories and they touch us and they move us. People tend to dismiss science fiction as a kind of escapism, but I would argue that sometimes we do need to leave the everyday world to return to our own maybe seemingly bad world with new clarity. For me, a love of an interest in sci-fi excited me, but it made me go, you know what? I want to make that real. Like, is that even possible? Ricardia, welcome home. How was your day? Geez, where should I begin, Mercedes? First the hover cab breaks down, then the hollow connection with my client, then my nerves. And just when I finally make some headway with my article, you know, the one I'm writing about the AI Football World Cup Finals? Well, Tom calls me and asks if I can help with planning the drone coming party, which, by the way, is on Saturday. Oh, I've had it with these nerds. Hey, Mercedes, can you do us all a favor and play some relaxing tunes? I'm sorry to hear that your day has been like a terribly coded VR adventure. Of course, I'll start your favorite playlist now. Mm -hmm. Yep, really needed those retro vibes now. Frankly, I'm thinking about buying some of these invisibility suits so people can stop annoying me. You do you, Ricardia. Whatever makes you happy calls to my emotional processing unit. By the way, would you like me to replicate a tea to further soothe your jittery nerves? Oh, marry me. Hey, can you replicate a masala chai tea according to this original Indian recipe I found? A pleasure, Ricardia. Here you go. Oh, wow, they really nailed the replication process with this model. With the old one, my favorite sort of tea always tasted like you're sucking on some old semiconductor chip. <sighs> okay, just one email left for today. Just have to find my... Oh, for crying out loud. What's wrong, Ricardia? Oh, I think I forgot my hyper tablet in the office. Why am I still showing up there? From now on, working from home it is. Anyway, it might cost a fortune, but let's do this. Hey, Mercedes, beam me up to the office. Consider it done. See you later, Ricardia. Yep, later, Mercedes. Into the meta dimension. Wait, what? Let's jump back to the present. Back to a normal without hover cabs, machines that replicate drinks, and without beaming to faraway places. So why did we talk about those fancy gadgets and means of transportation that sound like they came right out of a sci-fi flick? Because it was a vision. And today's episode, my friends, is supposed to explore how ideas stolen from fiction, I'm talking novels and films, shape our everyday lives and even our future. I'm your host, Ricardia Bramley, and today, everything is possible. Because this is Future Dimensions. 
a podcast by Mercedes-Benz. In every episode, we'll explore visions of a more beautiful tomorrow and talk to the visionaries who are making those happen. Because shaping the future always starts with a vision. Ready to ride? Today's episode is all about the fascinating intersection of fiction and reality. About whether these wondrous stories we all consume to escape our everyday lives may have the power to tell us something about how we live in the future. And about the question whether fiction helps us flip the script on a better future even. So what came first, the 1990s space serials or the smartphone? Hmm, lots to talk about, so let's dive right in. To delve into today's theme of fiction meets reality, let's explore something else first. Something that lays the groundwork for everything to come. The power of storytelling. We're hardwired for stories, so much so that stories can actually shape entire careers or life plans. So for today's episode, I was super excited to talk with someone who is a master storyteller. And he's got the Hollywood career to prove it. Everyone, meet John Landau. For those of you who haven't heard the name yet, John produced both Titanic and Avatar, two of the three highest grossing films of all times. For his work on Titanic, he was honored with an Academy Award. So given this impressive body of work, what does fictional storytelling mean to John Landau? I think in so many ways, we are a product of our upbringing. And it's something you might not be aware of at the time, and I certainly wasn't. Growing up, I didn't sort of say I wanted to go into the creative arts. I was actually the opposite of that. I was, I was out being Johnny the Jock. Um, but then as I got older, and I started getting into what I was really interested in, it was movies. And then I suddenly realized that thanks to my parents and hearing all of their stories and all of their meetings that I got to overhear, talking about the importance of story and the importance of meaningful stories that have an impact on society, I realized that was something that was inbred in me and it became a true passion. John maintained his passion and talent for great storytelling to this day and we'll have the chance to see yet another one of his masterpieces in movie theaters soon. Let me share this much. It's a sequel, and it takes place on the planet of Pandora. Ring a bell? Yep, I'm talking about Avatar, The Way of Water. It's a sci-fi blockbuster as much as it is a story about people who experience an unexpected and thrilling adventure. Given this piece of news, I wondered... Were there fictional works that inspired the crew while creating the Avatar sequel? Sure thing, says John. You know, I think if there's a, uh, a fictional work that is transportive and is really about a wish fulfillment of going to another place, it's The Wizard of Oz. And I think that story of, of Dorothy going into this world and, you know, also realizing, though, that the beauty she sees you know, it's, it's beyond that. It's, it's about a human quality of touching the scarecrow. That has always been something that resonated as a, as a family. It used to be televised once a year on television. And we would gather around a TV as I was growing up every year and watch The Wizard of Oz. It's so true. That movie is still omnipresent in language and in culture. I mean, how many times have you heard people say, well, you're not in Kansas anymore? Um, sorry, veered off track. See, that's what stories do. But that's not the only way to build stories. 
architecture has a way of shaping stories as well. Have you ever heard of speculative architecture? Don't worry, I hadn't either until recently. One of the most prominent figures in this genre of thinking is Liam Young. Liam doesn't build at all the way you might think. Just like John, he's a storyteller, an imaginary world builder, a free thinker who uses the tools of fiction to examine how emerging technologies are changing our lives, spaces, and cities. <laughs> Did I lose you there for a moment? I don't blame you because it's such a crazy thing. Liam did this as a BAFTA-nominated sci-fi film director, but he still hasn't forgotten his architectural roots. I still think I'm working as an architect to a large extent, because really my practice is about imagining fictional cities, and I encode within those cities important ideas about who we are today, important ideas about the way that technology is changing our lives. Because I'm interested in this idea that, that really... All cities are fictions in some form. Liam has envisioned a fictional city of his own. He calls it Planet City, a futuristic urban sphere that's fully sustainable and reaches across the entire Earth. It's talking about powering cities from 100% renewable energy systems. And it's trying to prototype what the future of the city could be if we fully embraced a lot of the sustainable and renewable technologies that are already here. And fiction and stories can help us to come to terms with those changes and see those changes for the necessary steps that they are. Liam also compared fictional cities to playgrounds where we can face our fears and anxieties, our hopes and our dreams. Whether or not we're living in the fictional city of Blade Runner for an hour and a half as we watch it on TV or we're living in the fictional city that we might be reading about in a book. You know, they, they very much influence who we are today and how we think of the world. Stories about cities are both products of culture, but at the same time, fictional cities across the history of science fiction have always been sites in which we can prototype our most wondrous technological possibilities or our gravest and darkest concerns. Um, you know, if we're worried about the impacts of automation and artificial intelligence, then we might construct a movie like Blade Runner. And there we see a fictional city filled with replicants where a lot of those fears can, can be played out. All right, we just learned that Liam tells stories about fictional cities to show us how technology and social development might change our lives one day. And he came up with a really great analogy for this. We talk about the, the idea of the Trojan horse, you know, and, and, in, and creating Trojan horses within um, the landscapes of film and television, for instance. And someone might think they're watching some wild science fiction film or a, a crazy superhero movie. And they are, but at the same time, they might also be connecting with an important idea about how technology is changing the world. Let's unpack this one. Liam and his team imagine fictional stories audiences love. When you look more closely, you realize that hidden in these stories are philosophical ideas about society or humans in general. And because we love these fictional narratives so much, we're shocked by its dystopian elements and delighted by the utopian ones. They affect us emotionally and thus affect real-world change. Haha, <laughs> how'd you like that Trojan horse? 
Not sure that that is how it works? Go ahead, listen to Liam as he tells you two stories. You know, the first black astronaut in the American space program was a fan of Star Trek and was inspired by you know, one of the first mainstream black characters on US TV. Another example might be that the designer of the pacemaker, you know, the, the device you assert into your heart that creates an electric charge that, that keeps your heart regular, was a fan of Frankenstein. At the corner of fiction and reality, I started to wonder about the design side of fiction. I mean, we all know moments in daily life when we think, oh, wow, this looks straight out of a space odyssey. Often these designs kind of seem unreal, even when they are real. Take the Vision AVTR by Mercedes-Benz. It was specifically inspired by the world of Avatar. For me, the super futuristic looking concept vehicle feels like it was lifted right out of a sci-fi set design, don't you think? I mean, it's a car that practically extends your own body to discover your environment in very visceral and specific ways. Just like in the Avatar movies, the protagonists use avatars to extend and expand their abilities. Having co-created the world behind Avatar himself, John Landau takes it further, sharing with us that the films are much more than just some fairy tale for entertainment. I think when you work with people like Jim Cameron, our production designer Ben Proctor, uh, what we create up on the screen is not science fiction. It's science fact. And as I look out in the universe and, and hear stories about people working on, you know, antimatter transportation to other solar systems, you know, solar sails, you see that embedded in some of this stuff. Now, are we imitating what they were working on earlier or are they imitating what we did? It doesn't really matter. We inspire each other to go beyond where we are today. And to be a part of movies like Avatar Way of Water that has an ethos, that reaches people and has an emotional reaction to people, not just in the theater, but when they leave the theater, there's nothing more rewarding than that. John knows fiction does something to us as an audience. We take in these stories, we relate to the characters and their challenges, worlds and technologies on an emotional level. It lights a fire in us, or at least it sparks something. To get a deeper sense of why fiction influences our lives, I got in touch with Dennis Cheatham. As the graduate director at Miami University, he conducts research on how design affects human aspiration. So what does the professional have to say about how fictional design has long found its way into our lives? So design is about future. Uh, any designer has to be some sort of visionary because designers, no matter what you're making, whether it's a product, service, or system, you're creating something that does not yet exist. See, there's that future vision thing again. By definition, designers have to think about things that are not there yet, and then find smart and creative ways to translate these thoughts into real designs. However, when Dennis made up his mind about his career path, he took this thought a little further and chose the sci-fi stories close to his heart as the starting point for everything to come. So for me, a love of an interest in sci-fi excited me. But it made me go, you know what? I want to make that real. Like, is that even possible? 
And so for me as a kid, it challenged me to say, okay, who's making the future? And I was drawn to design for that reason, because design does dream up what those futures could be in those various ways. Also, science fiction asks some fascinating questions about what if, and that propels me today. Don't you love that? How entirely new worlds can be plucked from the simple question of what if? I think that this is one of the best things about imagining future visions, and not just because this podcast is all about what-ifs. Dennis told me that questioning the world can help us see questionable developments that started with good intentions. And as a professor, he makes use of what-ifs to teach his students some valuable lessons. So specifically for me, reading Bray Bradbury and many of these what-if stories challenge me to say, okay, when I'm working with students or when I'm doing my own research, I challenge them, what are the implications of this design decision that could turn out in a negative way, could cause a future that we are trying to avoid? And science fiction is fascinating because it can bring up those cautions as well, uh, especially when we talk about climate change, because science fiction has definitely grappled with some of those. So for me, Ray Bradbury is an example of a of stories that come to mind of saying, well, be careful of what you wish for, because it could turn out in a way you don't expect. But where are the limits of fiction and science fiction? I mean, what about fiction and exploring the frontiers of space? When I asked Dennis, I think I touched on some nerd's nerve. Star Trek definitely is still fiction. I mean, for heaven's sake, we're talking about warp speed, which is um, faster than light, which just isn't possible. But at the same time, Star Trek is rooted in some real science that I think makes it quite compelling as a storytelling vehicle. But fiction enough to grapple with some scientific uh, futures, as well as some social futures and different organizations and ways of living that... Um, allow it to, to, to challenge us as viewers in some really insightful ways. But I also love how Star Trek explores a world where money is no longer a thing. Poverty is no longer a thing. People have the food they need. I think it's a fascinating idea to throw out into the world that I know has challenged me to pursue that, to try and make it real today. Okay. I might as well say it. I'm a Trekkie too. And Dennis's love for certain sci-fi universes more, please. And Dennis did share some more details. He's pretty sure that an everyday item we simply cannot live without today may have been inspired by this very sci-fi universe. In Star Trek, at least in the more recent series, uh, Next Generation and Voyager, which I love dearly, there are devices that they use to get information, to display information, to read and to communicate that are called a PADD, a pad. So these devices look eerily similar to our modern smartphones today. Someone could even claim Star Trek called it, which I think is fascinating as... Um, buttonless devices have become pervasive in our society. We think about uh, smartphones without buttons. Um, and now even automotive displays and touchscreens showing, showing up in uh, our lives throughout, even on a refrigerator. 
we can change languages, we can change button sizes, we can change colors on the fly. It's actually better for usability in many ways. Okay, so now I'm hooked. What about cars, though? We can talk about them for a second, right? Dennis had one example related to the world of mobility, one from an animated TV series that started in the 1960s, but is all about living in a distant future. The Jetsons touches a little bit on automated uh, vehicles, and we've certainly seen science fiction um, stories and franchises talk about how automobiles will someday pilot themselves. And that's a technology we're still working out. One thing that's fascinating about sci-fi, doing these kinds of moonshots, calling these fantastic things that someday could be, sometimes the exact things don't work out that sci-fi plans like flying cars. But maybe automobiles will have features from trying to get to self-driving cars, features that still make our driving experiences safer or more comfortable or allow us to have a different convention of what the driving experience is. All this to say, if we don't get to the fantastic future, we may still get to a meaningful future in a way we never imagined because of that visionary challenge that science fiction throws out. Okay, I loved the Jetsons. I think Dennis and I might be soulmates. I'm just kidding. But speaking of meaningful futures, at the beginning of this episode, we sketched out one of those beautiful tomorrows. However, when we look at the recent news, the real world seems mm, a little more dystopian right now, no? We're challenged by climate change, conflict, and ongoing inequalities on a global scale. So why still dream of a utopian future when in fact our world is turning into the opposite? Fortunately, I also found a perfect guest to boost my melancholy mood, Lisa Jacek. She is Regents Professor of Literature, Media and Communication at the Georgia Institute of Technology. And even more importantly for us, a real luminary when it comes to her specialty that is science fiction. When I called Lisa in her office, she actually opened with how science fiction hugely impacted her life. If you want to know a classic science fiction story that I absolutely adore, it's William Gibson's Neuromancer. Uh, so marvelous. I grew up in Detroit in the 1980s, and Neuromancer just really kind of captured the spirit of, of that moment in time and history. Uh, it's the story my best friend and I used to keep in touch with each other when we went away to college. And I even named my kid after the protagonist of Neuromancer. Naming your child after the protagonist of your favorite novel. Wow, that's some serious sci-fi dedication. Lisa's also in love with the idea that sci-fi can contribute to a more egalitarian society. I think that science fiction can be useful for removing racism, sexism, ageism, ableism, any, any kind of uh, experience that has been treated as culturally minor, but that in many ways is probably psychically central to a lot of people, right? And the beauty of science fiction is that it provides this kind of global language that lots of people understand across centuries and continents and cultures. And this is something that goes all the way back to Margaret Cavendish's 1600s uh, story, The Blazing World, and of course, Mary Shelley's 1818 novel, Frankenstein, where the creature really does get to talk really literally at the very middle of the novel and to finally voice his opinion on everything that's been happening. So if science fiction has the power to help us fight all the isms in the world, is the intention to build better worlds actually at the heart of the entire genre? 
something that the grandparents of sci-fi played to from the very beginning? When I asked Lisa about it, she took me all the way back to the 1920s, a time when Hugo Kearns was kick-starting contemporary science fiction in the U.S. One of his greatest hopes was that science fiction would have such spectacular visions of technological and scientific futures that it would inspire real scientists and engineers on the ground to start inventing some of those things. Ha! More evidence for Liam's and Dennis's remarks about pacemakers, smartphones, and driverless cars. Anyway, Lisa told me she's really fascinated by how interest groups trying to build utopian futures for us right here, right now, are inspired by science fiction. So, for instance, I know that since the 1970s, the Fran uh, France Green Party has been inspired by Ernest Callenwald's groundbreaking uh, book, Ecotopia, which was also came out in the 1970s, and that they've really modeled a lot of their agenda based on some of the ideas in that book. And then right now in the United States, we have a number of different groups across the country who are really inspired by pioneering African-American science fiction author and MacArthur Genius Grant recipient Octavia Butler. Lisa is right. Of course, fiction might lead us to new cool tech gadgets and stuff. But it can also inspire us to foster social change, to kickstart our commitment to making the world a better place. And by the way, Liam is riding the same wave. Oftentimes we think about science fiction as being a tool of prediction. But I really think that science fiction is a tool to help us understand who we are in the present moment and to help us make informed decisions today that might set in motion a particular kind of future. You know, George Orwell's classic 1984 is not about 1984 at all. It's about 1948, the year in which it was written, and certain trends that he saw emerging in British politics at the time that he was worried about. So he projected those trends forward. He kind of extrapolated or exaggerated the present moment into a possible future to show us what could happen if we continued without change. Okay, so both utopian and dystopian fiction can teach us very important lessons, according to our experts. You might also see them as a virtual laboratory where we can explore different paths of scientific and social action and see if we actually like where they take us, right? But to figure this out, let's summarize. How are both dystopian and utopian fiction essentially contributing to building a better future? So I, I think one of the most important things about science fiction, whether it tends towards the utopian or the dystopian, is that it provides us with a virtual laboratory, a place where we can start to test out different paths of scientific and social action and to see if we like where they might take us in the future, right? So a utopian story can inspire us to start looking around and say, hey, what parts of that utopian society do we already have here that we could amplify? And what is it that the utopian society has that we don't have? yet. Meanwhile, right, a dystopian story uh, has us ask almost the exact opposite questions, right? What are the elements of our own society that could go dreadfully wrong and lead to this dystopian future? And what is it that we can do in the present to stop that from ever happening? And to top it off, Liam added a beautiful image to describe the power of utopias and dystopias. I guess the analogy I would use is that the future landscape in front of us is a dark and unknown territory. And every science fiction narrative that we might tell each other 
Every fictional film, every future story is like a torchlight, you know, shining a beam of light into that landscape, illuminating one little sliver of that, of that, of that space in front of us. And the more stories we tell, positive or negative, the more of that landscape in front of us gets illuminated. And then the easier it is to understand where we might want to step next. And the easier it is to understand, you know, how do we get to the other side and map out our course and our path through that landscape. This isn't an escape route. Lisa explains it's rather about coming back. People tend to dismiss science fiction as a kind of escapism, but I would argue that it actually has a really important function in that escapism. Sometimes we do need to leave the everyday world and to experience other worlds and other times. And that refreshes us and it renews us and it allows us to return to our own maybe seemingly bad world with this new perspective and perhaps a new uh, set of ideas and new clarity. I think it provides us with a sort of grounding in history and hope that there is a way to take our historical knowledge and do things with it in the present that are going to truly allow us to build better futures for all. Fiction incorporates our past and allows us to return to it wiser and with greater clarity. However, for John Landau, the responsibility of fiction is even greater than that. He believes that all these amazing works and the people behind them don't just encourage change. They intend to be actual change agents from the onset. Fiction absolutely has the ability to, to shape a future. Not only that, I think it has the responsibility to do it. Uh, these, these are all works that, that make you reflect on society and, and allow you to look at it differently. I think we have a responsibility in the fiction we tell to have people look at our world differently and change their actions to make our world a better place. Fiction has a responsibility to do that. Wow, I learned so much from Lisa, John, Liam, and Dennis about how fictional stories inform our reality. They disguise as fun narratives to show us where we're going. They can kickstart technological progress, inspire people to go places, and follow their dreams. They'll even spark entire movements for a more just society. You know what I know after these conversations? We need fiction more than ever. When it seems like there's nothing but bad news around us, stories are a true consoler. Because whenever we dive into fictional worlds, we don't only do it because we want to run away from the confusion around us. Rather, we do it because we eventually come back to reality and solve the challenges we're facing with new resolve and imagination. Now that is how we create a better tomorrow. This was Future Dimensions, a podcast brought to you by Mercedes-Benz. That's it from me, your host, Ricardia Bramley. Please don't forget to subscribe, comment, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, stay tuned and stay curious.